Hey, everyone. Welcome to Unlikely to Apologize. I'm one of your hosts, Nikki. And I'm Heather. And uh, this week's episode is going to be a little bit different. We are interviewing Nikki. Yes. Uh, I think for the first time ever, I might actually sit down and talk about what's happened to me from start to finish. I was going to say, it's your time to tell your story. I know. We've asked all these women to come on and talk and I'm just like here, just giving bits and pieces to people. So, well, I feel like it's important to say why we're doing your story now, because it's endometriosis awareness month. It is March. And you have endometriosis. Had, well, I don't have it anymore. Had. Is it, is it, I guess, is that something that, is it something that will go, I guess it, Will it go away or did it go away because of the steps you took that I don't want to get into because I kind of want you to tell your story. Right. So I think this is a common, um, it's a hot topic amongst the community because some people believe that it'll never go away. Some people believe that it has everything to do with just your period. Some science will point to that fact and other science points to it's based on estrogen. Um, your estrogen levels, that's what produces it. But the actual, the actual symptoms of the disease is based on your period. So just to give, yeah. So just to give, I'm going to define it. So endometriosis, we, as women, we have a month, we have a cycle as we've talked about this month. I love all the things that we've talked about this month, because I think it leads in perfectly to what I'm going to talk about. So we have a cycle, as we all know, and um, we get, when we hit the menstrual part of our cycle, we are menstrual phase, you have, you shed your uterine lining and it goes out of your body. Yes. Women with, yes. Women with endometriosis, even though you're shedding your lining and you're bleeding every month, some of that tissue actually falls back into your body and implants itself on other organs. And it creates what we call lesions. And these lesions can be found on your bowels, on your bladders. There's been people who've had it on their lungs and their uterus. There's also another disease. And I'll talk about that a little bit here today, but not so much. It comes up more so later in, in this journey that I've been on, which is endo, uh, adenomyosis. So endometriosis is outside of the uterus and adenomyosis is on the inside of the uterus. And in my mm. case, it took me until June of this past year to be diagnosed with the adenomyosis. So oh, wow. there's, and most women who have endometriosis also have adeno, but you cannot diagnose adeno until you take the uterus out. There's no way to diagnose it. Science is, is, is getting better. They can now do MRIs and stuff to kind of help find it, but usually they take the uterus out, they have to open it and they'll see the lesions on the inside. Okay. So I want you to go way back then to when you, before you knew what you had, because I'm, I don't have endometriosis. I have heard of people who have it. My sister has a friend who had it, but I never knew really what it was until you. So I know that you were misdiagnosed for years. Right. Um, And so I kind of want to, I think we should start there because I feel like it leads the whole story. Sounds good. So I think that's a good place too, because my poor parents, I always start, whenever I talk about this, I always say my poor parents. So I don't remember the exact age, but I want to say between 12 and 14, 
um, I was having stomach issues. It, it got to the point where like, I would put any food in my mouth and I immediately would have to go to the bathroom. Like it was like a, a thing, like Nikki can't eat food because, and I got really skinny because of it. And so is that, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but is that a common symptom then? Mm-hmm. It's one of the symptoms and I'm going to talk about different symptoms. So, Perfect. so if I can bring awareness to people, because you always hear me, like you, like Crystal even said it, you, you got to listen to your body, you know, and being so young, right? Like you don't really know how to pay attention. I just knew that I was getting sick every time I ate something. And I just remember specifically bagels. I don't know why, <laughs> but bagels always come to mind. Whenever I would eat a bagel, I would get sick. So we started this path of bringing my mom worked for a gastroenterologist. So it was, let's start there. Let's start there. Did a few tests. I had to like drink white stuff and they did like, they watched it go through whatever. Um, and they didn't really find anything. So that was probably about, I want to say three or four months and forgive me, this is so long ago. Um, I want to say about three or four months of doing different tests and I'll never forget. I had a fundraiser for my softball team. And we were doing a ZD dinner and I had to get up early to go help my dad set up the club that we're at. And I remember my phone ringing and I shot out of bed. It was so, I was probably like seven in the morning and I got this immense, like agonizing pain in my abdomen. And I remember trying to walk to the bathroom and I got to the bathroom and I blacked out, like I blacked out from the pain. Next thing I wake up, I see my mom and my sister like over me. And I don't know if my sister found me. I don't even know if my sister remembers this, honestly, but this is my first, this is my version of it. And I remember I had to go to the, my mom took me to the ER because she thought, honestly, it was uh, appendicitis. Like how old were you? Between 12 or 14, I don't necessarily remember. So, and I, I, it's important to say I did have my period at that time. Like I was, right. I was a pubescent teen who, who had already gotten her period. So the doctor had suggested because I didn't find anything, it wasn't my appendix to bring me to a gynecologist. So my mom brings me my first gynecology appointment at oh that age, gosh. which is very young. Right. And she, the woman, I remember, I think her name is Nina. She sits down, she's talking to my mom. She's talking to me and she's like, I think this is all gastro. This is all gastro. My mom goes, well, we've been going to the gastro. I I want to stop for a second. You went to a gynecologist at about 12 to 14 years old. Did they do a full exam, like feet in the stirrups? So, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I did a full, and being that young, I mean, Mm -hmm. what, and so, and and I wasn't sexually active at the time too. So it was, it was kind of, it was a little much for my mom, but because there was all these, these months of me having this pain. And one of the things that was very um, common between the gastroenterologist and the gyno is, um, because I was kept complaining about my stomach. I always said my stomach, right. And looking back at it well, now, you don't know with yeah. little that it's your ovaries and your uterus, you yeah, just know that so, that area hurts. Right. And they would, so the gastroenterologist would like have me lay down on the table and he'd like push on my stomach and I would wince because I'd be in that much pain. And then, um, the gas or the gynecologist did this, I did an exam, uh, exam. I don't, she, I don't think she did the actual, like, like scraping full pap. I think she went in just to kind of look around to see you had your feet in the stirrups Mm -hmm. at 12 years old, 14, 12 to 14 years old. Like that's Um, gotta be kind of a traumatizing thing for a child, right? You're like, what is happening? Yeah. And I vaguely remember my mom trying to explain to me like what was about to happen because like, you don't know. So I did the exam and she did the same thing, the gastroenterologist, and I winced in pain. And there were certain areas that were, you know, more sensitive than others. And she, after the exam, she's like, I really believe this is gastro. This seems like almost, they kind of just wrote it off. It's just gas type of situation, right? 
So my mom explained to the doctor, we've been down that road. We've been doing this for four months or however long it was. And she's like, no, no, I, th- I really think it's this. So back to the drawing board, we go back to the gastroenterologist. We do more tests. There were so many, I'll never forget. There was one time my dad, I, I remember I was in high school. I think I was a freshman in high school when this was all happening. So maybe 14, but I remember I had went to the nurse because I was in, like, I had such like agonizing pain in my abdomen and you know, they asked you, did you eat anything? I just think, so they called my dad, my mom was at work. So my dad had to come get me and they brought me, they, they got me an appointment at the gastro because my, my mom actually worked there. So it was easy for me to get appointments. Right. And I had to, I remember I had to drink or maybe it was the next morning. I had to drink like all this water, couldn't go to the bathroom. They wouldn't let me pee. And they had to do a ultrasound so they can see where everything was sitting. And I think I did that twice. I drank that liquid, that white liquid, I think two or three times different tests. And after I want to say about a year, so probably around 15, they finally turned around and said, we think she has IBS. Oh my gosh. So for those listening, IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. And again, at that age, I mean, the internet wasn't really around. I mean, it was around, but I didn't research the way that I research now. IBS is, is exactly irritable bowel syndrome, which basically means like your bowels get inflamed and you just push stuff. Like it's like, I, that's why I couldn't, I used to joke around. That's why I was so skinny because I couldn't keep, like, I couldn't keep food down. Right. So they put me on, um, Zoloft. Oh, before I go into that, when my mom had asked the doctor, like, what causes that? The biggest thing was stress. They would always say 14, 15, 12, 13, like stress. That's it. And that's what my dad says. She's 15 years old. What kind of stress does she have? But that was the leading like thing. Cause of it. Oh my gosh. So they put me on Zoloft. So Zoloft is, as you know, a depression medicine. I was going to ask. Yeah, it's a rigid, I guess it also treats stomach problems. And yeah, so and a lot of medication, I used to work in pharma. So a lot of medication was originally created for one thing, and it actually be- ends up being marketed for something else like it, it always happens. Um, I didn't like how I felt on Zoloft. I was very much like a happy kid, like, and it just, it wasn't working for us anymore. So I eventually went off of it. And I just kind of lived in this so it got to the point, like anytime I was hot, I would have to go to the bathroom. Anytime I was stressed, I would have to go to the bathroom. Any type of upset, anxiety, anything that was like changing my environment that would stress my like internal self, I guess, would bring me to that point of I have to go to the bathroom. And now fast forward to like my adult years. Now I've lived with this. I'm like 21, 20. I had a commute to work. And it was the same with my commute when I met John too. Like I knew where all the bathrooms were on the side of the highway. Like I would get to a point if I had a stressful day, I'm like, all right, I know that there's a Dunkin' Donuts here. Or I know that there's a McDonald's. It's so gross. And I know that there's a gas station, but like I knew where I can make my stops. So aside from go having to go to the bathroom, which I can't even imagine the that part of it, were you having other symptoms? Did you have painful periods? Did you have heavy bleeding? I I guess, I don't know what some of the symptoms are. So I'm just wondering if was this, was this the single symptom or had more developed over time? So this was the main symptom I had. So I was, they also put me on birth control. That was the other thing they did. And I'm, I'm going to take a step aside to talk about that for all the people that are listening or moms that, you know, get approached with putting 
you know, birth control in, in young girls, it's not the best thing for people. I do think the birth control added to what I've endured because it's, it kept a lot of things at bay. So I did have heavy periods, but I was also told it's normal. You know, my mom had a history of having really bad periods. Like she had fibroids. She had, um, I mean, I remember her being in and out of the, the gynecologist for a whole bunch of issues. I think at one point they thought she had cancer because she just had, she had a lot of problems. So um, I did have all that, and but it was very much presented to me as it's normal. Like it's going to hurt. It's going to, you know, that's, that's what it is. Welcome to being a woman. Congrats. You know, like it was kind of played off that way. So like, I just lived with it. Well, but then when I was that's what you're told, but especially by doctors, that's what you think is right. It's just normal. Exactly. And so I had, so I, I was on birth control. So I wasn't getting my normal and being that young, being on birth control, like understanding what birth control does now, I should have never been put on it. Oh my gosh. Same. Yeah. Like knowing and understand, like you don't, you're not actually getting a period. It's your body Mm -hmm. pretending to get a period. You're not actually shedding. Like there's a whole bunch of science. And if, if anybody takes anything from this, please re research, like what it's supposed to be like to have a period. You shouldn't be in pain. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't need hormone therapy to control your symptoms. If you have any of the symptoms that I list in this throughout this story, like talk to somebody who's holistically thinking as far as a doctor and not so much right. medical. I, I, I mean, obviously go see a doctor, but right. there are well, was, other, yeah. there are other I was ways. put on birth control when I was 15 because when I would get my period, I had cramps and I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. They were debilitating. And so right. I would miss school every month for at least a day or two because mm-hmm. of cramps. And so I got put on birth control at 15 to that. Right. And looking back at it, I don't remember having in my teens, I don't remember having a bad period. I just had all this other stuff going on that they didn't necessarily like know what to do. Well, it's, it's trying to band-aid all the symptoms, right? So if you're like, I have this, they're like, well, let's try and fix this one. Let's try and fix this one. Let's try and, but nobody's searching for like the root cause of right problem. So, So, okay. Fast forward back now. So you're in your early twenties. I'm in my early twenties. John and I are dating. I'm on birth control. I was on, I must've switched through seven different birth controls from the age of, I want to say 20, 22 to 26. So I went on seven different ones. One of which had me like bleeding consecutively for, I think Mm. about three months before I went to the doctor. And here's the thing. I, I can be the biggest hypocrite because I'm sitting here, go listen to your body. And you know, like I was also that person that didn't, it was just like, I'm just going to deal with this. I'm just going to deal with like, well, when you're young, right? Like there are things that now at trying to think, I'm, I think I'm 37. I just turned 37. <laughs> yeah. So that, so I'm, you know, being 37 versus being 21, even 27, there's different, right? Like, you know, now to advocate for yourself, to listen to your body. But when you're that young and you're, you're putting your trust in these, these other people who are like, this is what's wrong. And they're like, this is what you need to do. This is going to fix it. Or this is going to make you feel better. You don't know any different. Right. And, I and, that, like and that's, that's something that comes with age, right. Is you're like, actually, no, this is wrong. 
Right. It's supposed to be this way. And there is a situation, the, the pivotal moment that I always talk about is there was a situation and I wish I remembered all the details and John and I still laugh about this, but I think I had switched to the seventh birth control and John and I were, I wanted to go to the mall for something and John and I were getting ready and we had an argument about who was driving to the mall. And I'm not a crazy person. Like I don't flip out. I'm very even keel. Like I'm very calm. I'm very calm. I'm a very much the type of person to rationalize the situation I am mm-hmm. in or, or analyze the situation I'm in and then make rational decisions about what I need to do. And he grabs my hand and he goes, Nick, you are acting crazy and we need to get you off the birth control. Mm. So even he knew. Mm-hmm. So, and oh. this was, this was a year before we got engaged. So instead of going off of it, I switched to a different one. And this was the last one. And it was, the, I think it was low estrogen. That one, and this is a key. It was low estrogen, low estrogen, which had low mm-hmm. estrogen hormones in it, which is, too. yeah. And the estrogen is what was making me crazy because I had too much of it. Looking back at it now, being diagnosed with endometriosis, usually women with endometriosis have higher estrogen levels. That was, that was probably why I was crazy. But you were so over I, the, yeah. I, I was over the thing. So I switched to that and I was, I was good. I still had the, you know, the bowel issues, but like my crazy mindset was, was better. Yeah. So other than having to like, know where my stops were for the bathroom and making sure I wasn't hot. Like that was the biggest thing is like, if it's hot out, I don't want to go out. Like I, I, w- I would be in the bathroom or if I drink beer, I'd be in the bath, like something up. If anything upset my stomach, it would ruin my day. Which I feel like is really sad because you love to be outside and you love a good patio or like a boat day or like you just, Mm -hmm. I feel like you and John are very active in going and doing things outside that to know that like, oh, it's hot. I can't, I can't do anything that I can't. I mean, I still did it, but like, I made sure you you (laughs) are that way. You're like, I'm going to power through whatever, but it made sure I had my out miserable. I know. And I remember when John and I first started dating, like I had to go to the bathroom. It was like the second time of us hanging out and I had to go to the bathroom and he's like, and I got out and he's like, are you okay? And I was like, I have to tell you something. So I have like, and I had to tell him I had IBS, like I get sick. Um, So this was just like an ongoing thing. Like, again, in my teens, my friends knew that Nikki gets sick. It was just a thing. And now I had a boyfriend who knew it's just Nikki. She's just going to do again, joke around why I was always probably kept my weight down. So fast forward there's we're gonna fast forward we're gonna fast forward to when John and I shortly after we got engaged I just switched that the year prior so this is about a year when I switched the low estrogen it's about a year before we got engaged we get engaged and um I stopped I stopped getting my period like the pills weren't the pills weren't helping um I wasn't getting I was going 90 days without my period. And this is when I started to pay attention to things because originally I'd be like, Oh, I'm on birth control. It makes sense. Like they tell you, like you might not get it, but I would always get it at some point. Sometimes it'd be at 30 days. Sometimes it'd be 40. Like I actually used to mark my calendar. So I would track it. And when you're on the pill, like, you know, when you get to your sugar pills, yeah, I was going to say, you have a week where, you know, and I, I knew by day two, I was starting my period. Right. Every so I was pretty consistent on the low estrogen, but for whatever reason, something switched, something in my body switched and I just stopped getting it. So it was like 90 days. So I 
finally, I go to my annual and I'm talking to the woman or the doctor. She was new in the practice. So she was my new doctor. And um, she's like, well, you're, you know, if you, if you are concerned and she mentions, you know, you might have some cysts that are blocking something. And my sister has polycystic ovarian syndrome. So she knew my sister had that. So that was one of the things. So they actually did send me for blood work to see if any of that was an issue. And that came back clear. And then she mentioned endometriosis to me. But in like, in like a nonchalant passing, she's like, it could be PCOS or maybe you have endometriosis. Let's test you. Let's do some blood work. Let's check the PCOS. That came back negative. But then we never talked about endometriosis. So well, I'm how do you to- diagnose endometriosis? Or am I jumping the gun? No, it's fine. Okay. You're fine. It's only through surgery. It's actually called the career woman's disease because oh. women don't get diagnosed with it until their late 20s. So there are women out there. There are teenagers out there that are probably living the same story that I did because they didn't have educated doctors. So what is, so the only way to get diagnosed with endometriosis is through surgery. So when you were, how old did you finally have this surgery and what did that surgery entail to diagnose you? So I was about 28 when I had my first surgery, but before I jump in there, I just wanted like, I wanted this one part of the story where she told me to, where my doctor told me to go off the birth control. So she had mentioned endometriosis in passing, but we didn't talk anything else of this, anything else of that. I went to John and I was like, you know, I don't feel right. Something's not good. I, he's like, we're getting married. Just go off of it. So I decided to go off of it about two months of being off of it. I have never endured menstrual pain the way that it, I remember being at my goddaughter's like birthday party. And I had just gotten my, my period for the first time in probably about four months. Oh my God. And I remember, I remember being my, my goddaughter had all her little friends over. We did like some type of purse party, whatever. And I turned to my friend, Evan, and I was like, I want to rip my ovaries out of my body right now. Like I was in that much pain. And she was like, Nick, there's little kids. I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. I'm like, but that's how much pain. So I finally was starting to feel pain that I knew my friends had. Cause my friends would talk about it. Like, but I never actually had those symptoms. Like I was, I had other symptoms, but well, I never had the birth control was masking it. Right. So now that I'm off birth control, it took three months for my body to like catch up. And now it was normal. And now my body is, 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 is normalizing itself. And now I'm having these gut wrenching agonizing periods. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't okay. So I sucked it up and every month I knew get my period. It's going to be awful. There are days where I you mean, times are like you mentioned before being debilitating. Now here I am mid twenties and I'm now feeling this debilitating periods. Wasn't something I had as a young girl, but I had it as a mid, you know, mid twenties adult. So like we get married, still non-birth, everything. I feel like everything kind of just fizzled out. And I was normalized and it finally got to a point where it was manageable. So I didn't really think too much of it. I still thought it was normal, right? This is your normal. So why would you think it's not right? Right. You, your entire life, basically from 12, 13, 14 years old. Now you're in your, you know, mid to late twenties. This is just my life. This is what I have to deal with. Why would you think that it will? Right. Right. And I still have the IBS symptoms. So like, of course I'm, 
I didn't understand cycle syncing and all that at that point, looking back at it now, I'm like, oh my God, when I was having those traumatic experience, those traumatic bathroom experiences, right. it was actually linked to where I was in my cycle. Looking back, I wish I saved like my old eye calendar from my iPhone to be like, oh my God, this makes sense. So, you know, we get married, things kind of fizzled out, saw the IBS symptoms still was, you know, hot stress, whatever I had to manage my symptoms. I get like a big girl job. And I'm driving an hour and a half every day to work. That's my commute. But like, like my dream job at this point in my life. And I work for a pharmaceutical company. Excuse me. (laughs) And we had a doctor on site. And I noticed, so this is probably like a year. I'd say we got married when we were 26. So probably about a year after we got married. I noticed that my IBS symptoms were getting worse. Like it was getting to the point where like I was taking the train and like I had to sit in the the cart, the train car that had the bathroom, like just to make sure. And like nothing I did was I couldn't narrow down like what was causing it. And it wasn't it wasn't consecutively like day after day after day after day. It only happened at certain times. And then I was back in the position of not getting my period again. Oh, my gosh. So. I went to the gynecologist again. And this, at this point, this is where John and I, like, we're just married. One of the next steps you do, you start talking about kids. Right. So I had gone almost six months without a period. And I went to my gynecologist and I was like, John and I started talking about having kids, um, but I'm not getting my period. And she's like, well, we need to, you know, track, maybe see if you're ovulating. She's like, and she's explaining what, ovul- again, because I didn't know. She's explaining what ovulation. I was like, I feel like that's happening like based on what they tell you, like cervical mucus, like all these things. I didn't know about body temperature, but like all these other things. I was like, yeah, that, that does happen. I was like, but I still haven't gotten a period in six months. And she was like, all right, well, why don't we, if you guys are going to start trying, why don't we give it a year? And if you don't have any success, we'll talk about your next options. You know, what infuriates me so much is that year wait. Mm-hmm. that's a whole year a whole and year that's what they tell that's that's the standard across the board when you start trying to have a baby give us a year and then come back in a year and then so that yeah. it, I mean she literally threw numbers at me she's like you got a 40 percent chance of getting pregnant but like let's see what happens but where is she even pulling that number from like come I'm on looking looking back at it now like I don't want to be mad at my younger self because like you know no you can't be but but if somebody just, had told me that at this age, it'd be like, lady. Okay. Like, you know, like, yeah. but again, you're young. You don't know. No, and no. I, I have to be completely honest. And this is a terrible thing to say. I didn't talk to my friend. Like I was, the besides my best friend at the time, nobody else was married. Nobody else was trying to have kids. I didn't have friends that were trying to have kids. I, I, do, I don't talk to my mother about this stuff. I you know, my sister, I do, but like, she was younger in a different place. Like it wasn't a conversation. Like when John and I decided that we were going to do this, we didn't tell anybody we were going to do this because right. I knew what the chances were. I didn't want it to be like, Oh, are they pregnant yet? Like, I didn't want it to be a thing. So we start trying, right? Meanwhile, as we're trying, I'm still going through these IBS symptoms. And I mentioned before, I worked for a pharmaceutical company and we had a doctor on site. And the reason that the company did it is so people didn't have to take a day off from work or leave work early. If they didn't feel well, they can go to a doctor. And because my commute was so long, that doctor became my primary. 
because I could just go down and talk to him anytime I wanted. And I explained to him, I was like, I have IBS. I have, you know, here's my history. I even brought him my chart from the gastro. I'm like, this is what I'm dealing with. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong or why I'm setting it off, but something's not like, it's, it's just not good. And he didn't really, he wanted, they had just, I think it's important for me to, to mention this part of the story. They had just come out with a medication for IBS where it almost acts like an anti-diarrhea. So there's two forms of IBS. There's the diarrhea version of it. And I hate to say that word because it's such a gross word, but there is that portion of it. And then there's the constipation portion of it. So people can be one or the other. Oh, wow. the, the pill that came out was for what I had, where it was the extreme, you know, thing. He wanted me to put on the, med- put me on the medication. And he had said something to me. He goes, you know, that IBS is not a bowel issue, right? And Wait, I what? said, he it's said, literally you know, in the name, he said, it's not a bowel issue. He goes, I want you to do some research. He goes, IBS is actually a nerve issue. What? Your brain, the way that your stomach is processing something and the way that your brain is processing things causes. So when those doctors were saying stress and all this stuff, they never explained it to me. It's actually a neurological oh disease. It's not a gosh. stomach disease. I did not know that. I didn't either. So he tells me, so here I am, good old Google. And I start researching. I'm like, I'm not taking this medication. Like I just need to manage my emotions, manage my reactions. And I, this was another pivotal moment for me because I was very reactive at a young age. I was very much able, like something didn't go my way or something I didn't like. I was very reactive, very well, that's so weird to think of you like that. Cause that's yeah. not who you are at all. So here I'm thinking like stress, what's stress. I don't see you get stressed out. Like I see you very calm and collected and cool and think things through. Mm-hmm. But that mo- like having that conversation with that doctor literally put me down this path. I'm like, okay, I now understand it's not what I'm eating. Right. It's it's how I'm reacting to situations in my life. It's how I'm reacting to my environment. So I started doing all these like things to teach myself, like take deep. I used to make, I used to make a joke about, I don't know if you ever saw the family matters episode where Carl Winslow is literally like having these reactive moments and he goes to therapy, I think. And he goes, they told me to do one, two, three, three, two, one. What the heck is bothering me or something along those lines. So I would do this like if something happened, I would take a step back and I would count. I would go one, two, three, three, two, one. What the heck? You know, like I would do that thing. And I, that helped me to kind of manage these like manic or crazy reactions. Cause we talked about that. They would be crazy reactions, not my normal personality, but right. things. So I learned how to manage this. So now that I learned this, now I understood, okay. It is stress. It is these things that are bothering me. I actually started managing it. And as I started managing it, I started watching like my blood pressure. That was a big thing because I had high blood pressure at a young age. Um, And I started looking at that. And I remember thinking like 40% chance, like this isn't going to happen. This is whatever, like we're fine. I, we were actually on vacation in Austin and I have, haven't got my period. So of course we're trying. So of course I'm taking, I took four pregnancy tests before we got to Austin. And you still at this point have not been diagnosed with endometriosis. Nothing. Nope. I have IBS. IBS. Okay. I took four 
pregnancy test. And this part of the story is, has never been really vocalized. So mm -hmm. this is a very vulnerable moment for me. I took four pregnancy tests and they were negative, but I remember my blood pressure because they had somebody that was coming around in the office, like once a month that would do blood pressure tests for you. It was just, we worked for a pharma company, like all these things happen. And I remember it was, it was exceptionally low. Now I'm normally low, but this was really low. And I was like, I think I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I take tests, negative, took another test, negative. We were on getting ready to go on vacation. I took a third test. The day that we left, I took a fourth test nothing. We get here, we're hanging around, we're checking out neighborhoods because it was, it was a little bit, we were just, you know, going back and forth the idea of moving. So we wanted to check out different parts of Austin and I, I'll never, and I love my husband and he'd probably kill me for saying this, but I remember at one point of the vacation, he wanted to like go look at apartments. And I was like, why are we going to waste people's time? Like, we're not going to move here for another, you know, four or five years. Like, why are we going to look at apartments? And he's literally apparently I was a bitch before that because he was like you are ruining my vacation you better be fucking pregnant oh. <laughs> and I felt so bad but as I'm thinking about this I remember looking back at it now he's like you better be pregnant he didn't say fucking that was me adding it he's like but you better be pregnant but I remember like I made him stop at the gas station so I can get pumpkin seeds and jerky that's literally all I wanted to eat and then I was sleeping every time we got in the car and we drove somewhere I would fall asleep Oh and he was gosh. getting up. That's why he said I was ruining his vacation because he's trying to talk and point out the neighborhoods. And here I am like snoring in the car. Oh, and, I kept, <laughs> and I kept going like it's the air conditioner when I'm cold. And this is a this is a very funny point, because when we get to my story now, when I'm cold, I get tired. Like it is just it's, <laughs> oh my it's gosh. I can't. And now being diagnosed with what I have now makes complete sense. But anyways, let's be whatever. So we decide because, again, my personality my moods were changing and it was something that john wasn't used to so we get a pregnancy and i actually bought a pregnancy test that literally said not pregnant or pregnant well the the, the other ones confused the hell out of me because i'm oh, like God. is there a line is there not a line you have to get the one that says pregnant or not pregnant is the only yeah. way to do it i'm not gonna lie that i can't imagine that i took four tests one of them had to say it and i just didn't know how to read the lines like i it's, I'm, it's the ovulation tests are the same way you're like yeah. is the line there is the line not there the at-home COVID tests, the same thing. You're looking at it. You're like, I don't know. I could see the line. And somebody else is like, I don't see the line. So, right. So we go to CVS and, and we buy it. And I tell him, I go, we got to wait till the next morning. It has to be first thing in the morning. That's when it's like potent or whatever. Your HCG levels are the yeah. highest in the morning. Yeah. So the next morning we wake up and I take the test and I'm pregnant. And I immediately start freaking out. I've been drinking all week been smoking. Cause that's what I do. I smoke cigarettes. I drink. We literally have been like, like Nothing I was not lies. healthy. Yeah. Wasn't being healthy. So I immediately call my doctor and she's like, come in on Monday. She's like, I'm going to tell you to not drink, stop smoking. Here I am like, shit, we still got three days left of this. What am I going to do? So we get home. I go to the doctors on Monday and they do the blood test and they, all my, everything's there definitely pregnant. My ACG is high, but it's, it's all positive. They go and do a vaginal ultrasound and there's no sac. <laughs> looking like I can cry now looking back and understanding what that is, but like being in that moment, I was like, what do you mean? There's no sac. And she's like, yeah, she's like, um, this, this she goes in, or I think she placed it with, it could be that it's too early 
when was your last, like she started asking me questions. We narrowed it down that I was about between five and six weeks. And she's like, okay, since you're about five or six weeks, we should see something. And that's when they said the term atopic pregnancy. And I remember going, what's an atopic pregnancy? And they explained it. So some women, (laughs) some women, when they drop their eggs, it'll land in the womb and other women, it lands in the tubes. That's what an atopic pregnancy is. So it's fertilized. So the egg was fertilized in the tube and the fertilized egg didn't drop. It did not drop implanted in the fallopian tube. It got stuck in the fallopian tube. And again, I don't know if I want to cry and I'm not going to cry because you know me, I won't cry, but I don't know if I want to cry because of how naive and uneducated I was to understand what I was going through at that moment or cry because like that was the pivotal moment of my life where they're telling you like, Hey, this happened once it's going to probably happen again. Like I didn't, you know what I mean? Like I didn't connect the dots. Like I just thought, Oh, okay. Like this happened. So I actually, this is the part that makes me upset because of how far along I was, I had to basically abort the pregnancy or it would rupture your fallopian tube or it would kill me. So I literally called John and I was like, here are our options. And of course he was, get it out of you. Get, right. get it That's out. That's how of Shane you. would have been to get yeah. it out, get it out. So I had to, to take a pill and I had to basically force a miscarriage and um, they don't prepare you enough for that. It's nope. what, and I hate, to, and I don't want to downplay anybody who's ever been through this. So please don't take this wrong. There's one thing to, when it, when you know, it's not happening and it happens, but it's one thing to have to mentally prepare for it to happen. Like I knew that if I took this pill, I was going to miscarry. Right. And it's such a sad, like, it's such a, or you don't, and you rupture your fallopian tube and right. you die of internal bleeding. So, and that was the thing. They were very cautious. Like, you're going to take this pill. If it doesn't work, we're going to have to do a DNC. We're going to have to go in. We're going to have to take it out. They did have, they, they, we do have success. And not every woman who has an atopic pregnancy goes that route. Some people are farther along and they do have to do, you know, like the DNC process. I was lucky enough to have to, to be able to treat it that way. So we did it. I'm not going to go into the details of that. I don't, I'm not comfortable with that part of the story. So, um, and this was the first time that I actually talked, I called my sister and I remember, and this was before, I'm sorry, I called my sister before the process. And I, I remember calling her and I was like, so I have something to tell you. And the first thing she said to me is like, are you pregnant? And I just started crying because it, the, the thing about it is, is I never really pictured myself having kids. I actually never pictured myself getting married, but like now this was something that was tangible. It was something that was possible. Right. And somebody was taking it away from me, right? Like it was out of my control. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> so I remember calling my sister and crying, and I was like, "I have to do this." And I'm explaining the procedure to her. John gets like John got home from work. He had to go pick up a medication. Like we knew what our night was gonna be like, right? So the next day, I took the day off. I called my manager. And, ugh, my manager at the time, I love her. She had also had some issues. So I was able to be open and honest with her. So she's like, take as much time as you want. 
So <laughs> I literally tried working the next day. That's the type oh of person gosh, I of you did. And she yelled at me and she told me to sign off. So I didn't, um, I didn't work. But my sister came, my sister brought me a fountain soda and Funyuns. And looking back at it now, and one thing that my sister says to me, and she still says to this day, is you don't feel your feelings. And looking back at it now, I don't think I I don't think I ever did. I don't think I ever gave my myself the normal processing of it because my mind was like, all right, on to the next, right? Like, just move on. So my sister came on. We, you well, know, that's a, how I want to, that's a big thing to process. And if you don't know, right, you don't fully understand even at that time when you're living it, what exactly is happening and why it's happening. Mm-hmm. You can't fully process it in that moment. No. And I, I don't think I ever really processed it until recently, quite honestly. I don't think I ever um, gave, I, and we'll get into this a little bit later. I want to also be mindful of time. So, um, so I like picked up where we left off and continued still having IBS symptoms or whatever. So one of our, one of John's friends started dating Crowley and we start hanging out with them and hanging out with her and she was having a lot of issues and I was still dealing with all this IBS stuff. Meanwhile, I'm going to keep that doctor I mentioned at my company, like in, in your purview, because he's a huge chunk of this. And she had a lot of issues. I'm not going to go into detail, but she went, had met a specialist who was like, I think you're, I think you have endometriosis and I think you're a candidate for surgery. And I would share with her what I was going through and like the fact that I literally couldn't control my bowels basically. And she's like, I think you have this. And I was like, nah, nah, like I don't have that. And I'll never forget. I was, I was a big runner at this time. Like I did five K's all the time. And I remember I did a five K. This is probably, this was probably the last five K I ever ran. And my hips were in so much pain, like to the point where like I could, I had to walk most of it. And I have never, out of all the running I've done, I have never felt that way. And I have one, my, one of my best friends has hip issues. And I remember having a conversation. So simultaneously, I'm having a conversation with my best friend, Rachel, and I'm talking to, you know, Marissa about what she's going through. I actually made an appointment with an orthopedic because talking to Rachel, I'm sorry, I'm burping because I'm drinking a white cloth. <laughs> um, <laughs> talking to Rachel and knowing what she went through with her hips. I'm like, I might have a hip issue because it was like on fire. Like it was stopping, like walking even sucked. So I made an appointment with an orthopedic and then I have Marissa over here. She's like, dude, I really think you have what I have. You should do some research. So I start one day at work and I was like, you know what? I can't run anymore because my hips are bothering me. So let me just see what's going on. And I Googled hip pain. Oh, this after the 5k, this is the important, another important part. After the 5k, I started paying attention when the hip pain would come because a week after that 5k, I ran with no problem. So I didn't understand. This is when I started to learn to tracking my cycle. I would notice the week before I would get my period, I would get hip pain and I couldn't run. Mm. And thinking about what I went through, what was it last year? I never put these two together. Yeah, this is how I, I was going to say, I, yeah. This is how I diagnosed myself. And I'm literally having a mind blown moment now. Like I had that pain before and I didn't, I'm not, I'm now connecting this. So I I go to her and I have Marissa and I go to her and Marissa go, just go see my specialist. So I made the appointment with the orthopedic, 
But at the same time, I made an appointment with the specialist and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm Googling hip pain, period, IBS. And I wish I saved the blog and I can go to this woman and thank her for sharing her story. I read her story and it was me at a young age, got diagnosed with IBS, had all these things. She's 28 years old, like literally me. And she had just gotten diagnosed with endometriosis. So I canceled the appointment with the orthopedic. I go see the specialist. Talk to the specialist. He knows my history, the topic of pregnancy, blah, blah, blah. Gives me progesterone, tries. So there's, when you're, when you, so you asked earlier about being diagnosed with endometriosis. There are ways to eliminate that it's not that. One of them being hormones, right? So like the pain that I was complaining about, he wanted me to take progesterone. So I took progesterone orally. And it made me crazy. Like that was one of the things that like John and I, like we joke about this, like you were crazy on that. So I went back to the doctor and I was like, I'm still having, so I was at the point now, and this is, I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting scatterbrained because I'm, I'm a little worried about time, but with the hip pain, and this is, I, I was tracking my cycle at this point because we were trying to get pregnant, right? Like I had that whole incident. So I had an app. So I continue after the atopic pregnancy, after the, the, I'm going to call it a miscarriage after the miscarriage, I continued to track. That's how I was able to track the hips. But there was another thing that was happening. I, I always, I explain it as pinching. Like somebody sat in my ovaries and was just pinching from the inside. Like they were trying to get out, just pinch. It was just because it would only happen certain times. So I now knew my cycle. Like I knew it is. So I was able to give him that information. The progesterone made me more crazy, but I still had pain. So then he asked me not to be too graphic, but he was like, we're going to give you a dissolving one and you're going to do it vaginally. It Mm -hmm. left, it took the craziness away, but I still had that pinching and then the hip pains and all the IBS symptoms. I was going to say, you also at some point have back pain because I remember. I didn't have it at that age. You didn't have it at that age, but you did develop back pain. Yeah. So I did the, again, mind blown that I didn't put, now that I'm telling my story, I did have that hip pain before. So he goes, after doing it that way, I'm still having the pain. He's like, all right, you're a candidate for surgery. So you would ask earlier how they do it. So you have a laparoscopy and hysteroscopy. And basically they go through your belly button. They blow you up with gas. Mm-hmm. And the laparoscopy is, they yeah. do the two tools little, go in. Yep. They do two little incisions and they go in and they basically, if you have endometriosis, laser off the lesions. Right. What I'm, what am I about to say is going to be like, oh my God. I remember when I woke up from surgery, John was by my side. And I, first thing I said to him, am I crazy? He goes, no, they found so much shit. My left fallopian tube completely blocked which is why I had the atopic pregnancy. My bowels were fused to my tubes in my uterus, which is why I was having so many bathroom issues. Um, And my left, I think it was my right ovary was enlarged. Oh my gosh. So, and yeah. It's years of this and that's, oh my gosh. Yeah. And- Part of me can be so angry had I been diagnosed or even was 
allowed to explore the option of endometriosis. So when I say the tube was blocked, that's why I had the atopic pregnancy because I had so many lesions that it was complete, like they couldn't even put fluid through it. And the doctor chose to do, chose to do a fluid test because of my atopic pregnancy. So they find all this stuff. So the way that the endometriosis diagnosis starts is there's four stages. And this is a very important piece for anybody that's listening that might be questioning that they have it. You can have no symptoms and have the highest stage. You can have so many symptoms and have the low stage. I was stage two, which means I had between 13 and 17 lesions that they had to clear. That's only stage two, but you've heard my symptoms. There are women out there that are literally living their lives with probably way more and don't even know that that it's an issue because the way that the disease works, it doesn't, it doesn't stage two doesn't mean you're going to have a, B and C there are women right. stage four and don't even know it. Don't even know the woman that was like, dude, I think you have this. She had, she had, she had different symptoms of mine, but she was stage. I think she was stage four. And her symptoms were different than mine. She didn't have the bowel issue. She didn't, because the thing about this disease is it literally will implant itself anywhere and everywhere. And how your body reacts to it is what causes those symptoms. So as we're talking about symptoms, some of the things I kind of, I kind of want to do what Crystal did and just talk about. Well, so I guess if, if my question to you is if you're concerned about time, which I'm not, but if you're concerned about time, do you want to do a post where we can post the symptoms and then you can finish your story yeah. with what happened last June? Or we do you want to do both? It's up to nope. you. I'll post it. Cause it's, it's, I'm it's fine kind with of time. A, it's no, it's kind of, okay. I'm just saying time because I don't want to go over an hour. So it's fine. Okay. Um, so I want to, let's pick this up. So have the surgery. I'm not crazy. I will never tell you the feeling I felt when my, when I was finally validated all of these years even my parents, like even my mom, like my poor mother was just thinking that she was just doing all these things wrong. And like something that she did, did this to me, but no, it wasn't that it was just, it's just unfortunate. I finally had validation. I finally have found it. I finally found a doctor that would listen to me because my own gynecologist who knew me at the age of 14. And here I am 26, 27 years old, literally never, ever once. I actually I'm not proud of this moment, but I actually went back to them and said, give me my files. I'm leaving this office. I would have done the same thing. Because no. And this, this, this part of the story is so important. So after that, I felt amazing. I had the recovery. So the recovery time is usually, depending on how bad, what stage you are and how you are, what pain tolerance, whatever. I was probably up and walking within three days, two days even, I think. I think the first two days was the hardest. So I returned to normal life and I went, we went about our lives. We planned to move to Austin. We moved to Austin. And so that was, I think I was 31, 32 when we moved to Austin. First year here, I start getting symptoms and now I'm, I'm hyper aware. Now I know. So I go see a doctor and I tell her I have endometriosis. I have this, I have this, all these things. And, um, she didn't. She didn't really think I was a candidate for surgery or anything. She just kind of wanted me. Even to though like, you'd already had surgery. Yeah. So here's the thing. There is a statistic: forty percent of women who have surgery for the first time will not have surgery 
within the, the next five years. Oh, wow. Okay. So she was playing on that statistic. It got to a point where it got really bad. Now, mind you, I was in a job that was very high stress. And I, and I've said this quite often. I think that job made me sick. Like, I think it made my body react in a way that I wasn't aware at the time was reacting as much as I'm hyper aware of my body. I think it was, I reached burnout anyways. So I left that doctor. I actually flew home to Connecticut to see my specialist. And he's like, oh, you don't have to come home. I'm going to give you somebody. She is a, she's been on a lot of boards. I, I recommend her. She's great. Here's her information. Make an appointment with her. I start going to her. Now you just listened to me talk about about 20 years of bowel issues. I go to this. I haven't, my last straws, I haven't gone to the bathroom in about eight days. Just nothing. Completely bad. I remember this. Nothing. So I go to her. And she is a, I find out there's a new drug that comes out specific for endometriosis is called Orlissa. Now, one of the things I didn't get into, and if we have, if anybody wants to follow up on me discussing different types of medications that they can offer, there are medications, there's birth control. I did the, I took the IUD route because I, it was, it was low estrogen and it kept my symptoms at bay, but there are other drugs out there that they do. Some of them are chemo drugs. Like some women get so bad that they get, one of them is called Lupron. Orlissa is a sister medication to Lupron. So she was trying to push this on me. Me working for a pharmaceutical company, knowing what these drugs do to you, push back. I don't want, I don't want medication. How about I just give you some samples? How about you just try this? I did the research, the top three side effects, bone loss, depression, suicidal thoughts. Mm-mm. I already talked about being on Zoloft and I told you, I didn't go into detail, but it was not a good medication for me. I do not need to be put on something that's going to put thoughts in my head. Just not going to do it. I find out she's on the board for the medication, which means she's she's pushing it because she benefits from it. Yep. She gets paid or benefits from any prescription she wrote. So she sends me home three times with Orlissa samples. And I was like, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll try it. I go to her and I finally had a straw. The last straw before her was... Um, well, there's the strup before there's two parts to this. I finally convinced her to let me have surgery. I had to convince her. Like I've been through this before. I know my body. This is what happens. I wake up. She tells me, oh, we found cysts, but we found no endo. I was like, that's really weird. The last time I was like, did you check my bowels? And she goes, no. And I go, why wouldn't you check my bowels? My history shows that the endometriosis was, was on my bowels. She's like, no, I looked at the old reason around the uterus. And this is, she was so nonchalant about it. John was in the room. Mm-hmm. If you have, if this issue consists or persists, you're probably going to have a hysterectomy. And I know I'm jumping around, but my doctor in Connecticut, my first surgery, he did tell John and I, I didn't, that was a key part that we would not be able to have children without any intervention. Like I couldn't, right. I was eventually, he's basically said, I, he didn't be, he said it. You're eventually probably going to need to have a hysterectomy. This woman was like, I didn't check them. If you, if this problem persists, you're, you're going to have to have a hysterectomy. And John, John was not, he did not like her bedside manner. So at the same time, you didn't check the thing that I'm here for. Right. And I was very adamant. I was like, it was on my bowels. Like I know where it is. Like it's, it's on my bowels. And if I have, if I can find the pictures, I'll find the pictures. You could see the surgery marks. So just a quick, I've had five surgeries, six surgeries. That surgery I'd explained that I had in Connecticut, I had that six times. 
and I have pictures and you, hers are the only ones where the scars are different because she only looked up like in my abdomen area. Whereas the other doctors looked at my bowels because my main symptom was my bowels. Correct. That was the main thing. So the other part of this is I mentioned, I, I took the IUD route with treating endometriosis. Like there's different treatments. Mine was IUD. Let's just stop the period. And it worked wonders. I went years. I went two years, no issues, completely fine. And then about when I had, when I would, after I had surgery. So when I had the surgery with her, I asked her, Hey, my IUD is up, is up. Like, cause you only have a five-year span. I was like, it's up at this date. I think it was a six months difference. Can you take it out and just put a new one in? And she said, no, <laughs> she said, no, when we're ready to take it out, we'll, we'll take it out. Then I'm like, looking back at it now, she just wanted money from me. Um, yeah, she sounds terrible. So six months goes by, I'm due for my new ID. I go in, she can't get it out of me. And I think I called you and Haley crying. Yeah, it was because yeah. I now had to have another surgery. I think it was my third or fourth surgery, another surgery to get this thing out of me. Yep. So that's when Haley was like, go, go to my doctor. And I have to, for anybody who's listening in the Austin area, Dr. Robert, Robert Cowan at Austin area, OBGYN is a fucking godsend. Like I can't stress this enough. I went in there. I was like VIP because they, everybody knew what I just went through with this doctor and they knew her bedside manner. They knew that she's like, Haley gave them the one-on-one on me. Yeah. So they, they see me the following Tuesday, that following week I went in, he took the IUD out, put a new one in. I get a new IUD and one of the symptoms of having, IUD, so IUD has its own symptoms, but one of the symptoms is, um, like it takes a long time for your body, but it's like hip and back pain. So I was getting hip and back pain and I was chalking it up that it's just my body getting used to the IUD because it's new. It's probably more potent. And this is just my brain. But you saw, you are 100% a witness there. It got so bad. And yeah. what did I deal? What did I deal with the year where I was down to get it down to between the, what was it? The 12th and the 15th. Mm-hmm. I could not walk. I mean, we were at the lake. I was hunched over just walking back and forth to the pool. But you like, still would come out. I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, but here you are. So. I mean, you were in excruciating, debilitating pain. And it would always Every start month. my Yep. It always started with my hips first. And then it went to my back. And I'll never forget this. Haley yelled at me. She's like, it's been seven months. Well, because you said, out. you said, I'm going to give it this amount of time. And then I'm going to do this. And then you would say, okay, I'm going to give it this much more time. I'm going to okay. do it this much more time. And finally, it was like, you need to do this. Yep. So she yelled at me. She's like, you've been saying six months. You're now at seven. Go to the doctor. So I'll never forget. Make my appointment. I go in, see Cowan. And I couldn't, it was actually the time of my, my cycle where I was having the pain and I'm hunched over like a little old lady and I'm crying. I'm just crying because now I'm at a point where like, and I'll never forget this. I turned to John and I was like, this is not a quality of life for me. I can't work out. And that's my biggest thing, right? Like that's, I'm, I'm an athlete. I'm active. Like that's what I do. And I just remember getting there and I'm crying and I remember Colin and he just hugs me and he's like this. And he said the same thing he goes, this isn't a quality of life for you. He goes, I know that. We, and he said to me, cause I had gone to him, you know, after the IUD and we talked about it and, um, he was like, you know, she said she did this, this, and this, and he was reading the doctor's, the other doctor's paperwork. And he wasn't ready to give me surgery because this has already been 
se- you know, seven, eight months from my last surgery. Right. And statistically, I shouldn't be having a surgery again. What, what was it? You said five years. Yeah. Like, and now I'm going on my, f- well, to be fair, that, that lady doctor didn't do her job. So that surgery shouldn't have counted. Yeah. So, and I said to him, I go, and he said something that was so key. He's like, here's what we can do. And he gave me my plan of attacks. We can, we can give you, um, physical therapy or I'm sorry, pelvic floor therapy. If that doesn't work, we can do pain management. If pain management doesn't work, then we can consider a hysterectomy. And then I like, I was like completely shut down and I turned to him, I go, can you just go in there and tell me if she missed anything? He goes, is that what you want me to do? I go, I just want a fresh start with you. Just go in there and find it. The next month I was in surgery and he fucking found shit. And I remember going to him. Is that her fault? He goes, there's no way to tell when he can't say that. But he also is like, there's no way to tell when you developed it. Right. Like I could have developed it three months ago. So he found stuff. So that, that to me alone validated that I was right about her. Like she didn't listen to me. So he goes in, he cleans me up. I felt fine. First two, three months after that surgery. Yep. And then it started again and then it started again. And then here I am back in the doctor's office. I know I'm kind of like speeding up the details, just the details of the back in, in from my research, what was happening. And this is where that adenomyosis diagnosis comes in. And this is where it gets kind of like sad for me. Um, because I had lesions on the interior of my uterus, which you have to give the details of how you found that. I didn't find it until after the, the, you're skipping because you didn't talk about what you did. Yeah. So this will, this will lead up to that. So the back pain, they wanted to, they actually almost just said, what if we just send you to physical therapy for your sciatica? Because that's what it was. It was my sciatica. And I started, I belonged to a lot of communities or groups on Facebook. And I started asking questions. Anybody have hip pain? Anybody have back pain? And one woman said to me, I've dealt with that for two years. And I finally got annoyed or upset or whatever. And, um, I got diagnosed with adenomyosis and I was like, Ooh, what's that? So I start Googling it. And that's how I learned the interior versus the exterior. So what was happening was every month when I'm supposed to get my period, that 12th to the 15th, my uterus was expanding or maybe, I mean, I might be, I might be scientifically wrong at this point, but my uterus was expanding so much that it was pushing on my sciatica which is why I was enduring the pain that I was enduring. And it was literally like, if you Google adenomyosis or endometriosis and sciatica, there's so much science on it. So what he did in order, so now I did the, I did the pelvic floor therapy. I still yep. wasn't getting better. I will never forget the first appointment. She's like, we're going to do this. I remember this. And I'm like, guys, just so you know, pelvic floor therapy, they go in and massage things inside for you. Just so you know, because I was not briefed on that. Um, yes. I'll never forget your text message. And we were like, what? <laughs> she had like a, like a, like a, like yes. a mannequin with just all the muscles that are in your vaginal wall. Anyways. So the next step after pelvic floor was pain management. I have, I come from a family of addicts. Not, I'm not going to downplay that. I don't want to be put on medication for that reason. I know that I do have those. I have an addictive personality. Um, I have a very good friend of mine whose mom also had pain management, went down a very bad road. I just, it wasn't something I want to do. So back to Dr. Cowan. 
he decides, he's like, we're going to do a vaginal ultrasound today. My uterus was twice the size that it normally is, which is why I was so hunched over, which is why I had so much pain, which is why I couldn't walk. And um, I'll never forget when he's like, I'll never forget he put his hand on my leg and he was like, I think it's time. He's like, I think, he's like, I think you've battled long enough. He's like, you've done everything you can. And it's, and he told me, he's like, it's okay. Why are we doing this remote? I wish I said <laughs> it's okay. Um, so I remember going home to John and telling him like the doctor wants me to do this. And John's first reaction is, I don't want them to take an organ out of you, right? Like <laughs> They're going to literally remove an organ. And I was like, I know. I was like, but again, the, the quality of life conversation was this, right. this isn't me. Like, I can't, I can't do anything. Like my, I, I like, I, I couldn't do anything. It was, it got that bad. So I asked all the questions. I decided to keep my ovaries. <laughs> That's a funny story um, <laughs> in itself because I didn't want to be premenopausal. And I had my hysterectomy in June and I'll never forget. Uh, we scheduled it or we expected it to be a longer surgery because of how expanded my uterus was, but because of where I was in the cycle, he goes, he goes, you were a perfect candidate. He explained, he goes, you were a perfect candidate for students because everything was no like not normal, but like everything was normal size. I was able to demonstrate where the endo was and show like whatever it was. So I was out of surgery in, I think an hour and a half. It was very quick. They expected like six hours or whatever. So when I had my follow-up and we, when I had my follow-up and we talked about it, they give you the results. They found three fibroids, the size of baseballs. Who knew the uterus was this big? First of all, <laughs> like, well, yeah, those are pretty massive. Um, and the pathology report proved the adenomyosis, which is why I had sciatica issues. And the only way to diagnose that is to remove, remove the, uterus. the uterus and have it cut open basically like an autopsy. It sounds so weird, but that's, right. that's what they had to do. So if we want to go back to, we'll say age 14, was 36 that's 22 years of just different symptoms different doctors people making me feel like I'm crazy and I do have to say throughout all of this you know a lot of people could have wrote me off as being a hypochondriac or you know you just want something wrong with you and I and a lot of the things that I always say is like chronic illnesses people don't they don't see them like you never, you, if you saw me on the street and you met me in public, unless I told you, you would have never known. Right. And I was vocal. I started getting more vocal about it, but I never got vocal of like my story. I got vocal about awareness. Like you shouldn't feel this way. And you are losing a lot of years and times of your life because of those things, you know, when something's wrong and you're the only one that's going to advocate for yourself. And yeah. you have to find a doctor that's willing to listen because I spent oh, yeah. so many years with a doctor that it's normal. And You're it's supposed to normal. feel that way. It's not normal. So if anybody is listening and you have a painful period, it's not normal. God did not create us to give birth 
or bring life into this world and make it a painful experience. It's not, I mean, maybe the actual act of birth, but <laughs> the, <laughs> the, monthly. Parts, the monthly parts of it. It's not supposed to be this curse. It's not supposed to be, you know, maybe I, maybe I'll give you a little pain, discomfort, but right. not to the point where you can't walk, not to the point where you can't, you know, have 30 minutes of peace without running to the bathroom. There are, you know, a lot, it's, there's a lot more that, that goes into it. So I have one final question for you. <laughs> if I could not cry, <laughs> and I'm going to butcher this because I'm all emotional <laughs> now, but what is one thing that you used to apologize for that you were unlikely to apologize for now? Um, As I cry. <laughs> being vocal. I wish I can go back and have somebody yell at me or put me in my place in a sense to be like, it's not okay. You shouldn't be dealing with this. And I have personally made it a mission to not filter anything that comes out of my mouth anymore because of it. And I love Um, you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's not, it's not fair and you shouldn't live your life in pain every day and you shouldn't, it's not a life to live. It's not. I'm so proud of you. I can't. (laughs) Oh, I did it. (laughs) (laughs) I was saying I wasn't going to cry, but here we are. No, honestly, I think I'm crying more. Not what I went through. Oh God, I'm trying to talk. (laughs) I think I'm crying more, not so much because of what I went through. It's just the fact of how many people I know that are out there living it <sighs> you got me Heather <laughs> <laughs> no honestly that's that's my biggest thing the only reason I ever really talk about it is I would hate to see anybody go through I mean 22 years and I really only talk about 11 years right like when you hear me right. talk about it I talk about it from my 20s but like really digging down, like this started when I was a teenager. Right. I feel like what's so, what's so frustrating and infuriating is that 22 years ago, nothing. And I don't want to, I guess I shouldn't say nothing, but in 22 years, where is the advancement on being able to diagnose this in young women? And I don't know anything about it. So I've done no research. So I'm asking. Yeah. So from what I've learned, there are now better MRIs and ultrasounds that can see things. And this is always the question of like, how can they not see it? Right. But because when you think about lesions and not to be gross, but I think of um, like skin lesions where you get the purple ones, they're so thin. That's what I'm envisioning too. They're so thin. So they they couldn't detect it. They have now, to with the naked eye. Yeah. Now they have a better detection in, in the ultrasounds. Um, honestly, the biggest thing, and, and I want to bring this up because I mentioned that doctor from Purdue where I said, he keep them in your sub view. I remember I went to him after I had my first surgery and I told him and he, he literally was so upset in his face. He's like, tell me what I can do if I have a patient come to me with your symptoms, how how would I be able to do this? And I'm like, honestly, a lot of the doctors that I've talked to, unless they are educated in it or have seen it before, they don't know. And I was like, but just 
if somebody comes to you with similar symptoms, remember, yes. I said, remember me. That's what I said. I said, just remember me. And I go, ask more about their cycle, ask more about their periods, ask more, you know, about their habits. If there's anything, you know, the biggest part for me is, is, you know, having it on my bowels, which affected, you know, basically my everyday life. Right. right? I was going to say everything. And then having the blocked, you know, or having the blocked tube is what caused me the ectopic pregnancy. I was like, there's so many like red flags that could have been, you know, and it took one doctor to be like, yeah, I think, I think this is it. And the biggest thing is back pain. If, if somebody's coming into you and go, I don't have it every day, but I only notice it three or four days a month. That's clear sign something cycle oriented, which is why I know you joke around about me being so like vocal about cycle with that. I 100% believe if I did not, with the exception of everybody else around me that helped me get the diagnosis or steered me in the direction. If I did not track my cycle and understand that it was only happening certain times of the month, I don't think I would be where I am. I think I would still be kind of just living through it. Right. So that's why I'm such an advocate for understanding your body, knowing what we're supposed to do. And something that I wish we taught girls, had I known, had I known at 13 years old, maybe completely different. I don't even have words. I just, (sighs) wow, you did it. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And if you can help one person, it's, it's worth it. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here. That's why we're (laughs) here. So if, yeah, <laughs> if you, if you know anybody who could benefit from Nikki's story or who has questions, please reach out to, I don't know anything about this. So you'd need to reach out to Nikki. You could reach out to Nikki directly at, um, Nikki cams, mm-hmm. or you could DM us at unlikely to apologize podcast on Instagram. Or you can always email us at hello at unlikely to apologize.com. Yeah. Thanks everyone. We will, we will be here for you. Thank you. Bye everyone. Bye.